Before um, Judy comes to speak to us, we're going to be uh, reading from Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 to 35. The words are going to be on the screen. It's Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. And it is a massively challenging piece of scripture. Brace yourselves, everybody. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. In verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Lord, I want to thank you. Uh, that you're with us today, with us um, all the time. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you just really gently challenge us challenge us, and equip us, Jesus. And God, we pray for Judy, Lord, that she um, just really has a real passion and real heart of just thank you for her, a passion and a heart for just really hearing your voice as she's speaking today, Jesus. So thank you for you, Lord. Amen. Morning, everybody. Well, as Andy says, this is a challenging subject for every single one of us, if we're honest. Uh, whether we're walking through the reality of uh, forgiving somebody, uh, which a lot of us here will be, or whether that's uh, something that we've wrestled with in the past and we feel that we're perhaps uh, a little bit more free of now. But mercy is one of the Beatitudes as we come halfway through the Beatitudes in a series that we're looking at here at Riverside. Uh, we are looking at B, a series called B, and Be Merciful is today's uh, Beatitude. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And mercy is a word that actually has slightly gone out of fashion. Uh, we don't say it as often, unless you're perhaps Duffy, who did a song <laughs> about it a while back. Uh, but actually, mercy is not used particularly very much in our language nowadays. But it is everything to the gospel. It's halfway through the Beatitudes, almost as a bridge that Jesus puts there between the first few Beatitudes that we've looked at. If you've been with us, we've been looking at blessed are when we mourn, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we're actually down, when we're disadvantaged 
disadvantaged, underprivileged, but now we have this bridge that is going to take us into the next few Beatitudes. And this is about the mercy, the kindness, the compassion that Jesus wanted his hearers to understand. And he wanted in his upside down kingdom, in the kingdom that's introduced through the Beatitudes, he wanted his hearers and us today to hear that his mercy, the mercy of God, the forgiveness and compassion of God is available for everyone who trusts in him. The flip side of that is that we then, as we receive that mercy, have a call on our lives to be those people of that same mercy. Uh, a couple of years ago, some of you might remember this, I went to uh, a forgiveness uh, talk that was being given in Scargill House up in the northeast, and uh, we were looking at this whole business of forgiveness and just how difficult it really is. And Adrian Plass uh, was leading a workshop there of people. And uh, a lady, beautiful lady, who was very nervous, very, very scared to stand even, stood up. And she said, I just want to testify to what we are able to forgive when God gives us the grace to do it. And she said that she was in an abusive marriage, that her husband didn't just abuse her, he abused their children, that he was found guilty of watching uh, images on, uh, online that meant that he was put into prison. And the shame of all he had done and all he had been involved with meant that he took his own life in prison. And she was left widowed, abandoned, and with two children who were still living the reality of that abuse. And she said, but through the mercy, through the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, I can honestly stand before you and say, I feel free of it. I feel free of wishing him any harm. And actually, suicide is something that's incredibly hard to forgive. Interestingly enough, when someone has taken their life that is close to you, incredibly tough to forgive. Uh, because you, you just think, well, we, were we not enough for you? Incredibly tough for people. And she gave this beautiful story, and I don't think there was a dry eye. You know, we all just listened, and, and it put all our own little things that we were wrestling with maybe into perspective a little bit, until another lady stood up, very, very angry. And she just said, well, I can top that. And that was her way in, which was <laughs> a little bit awkward even with that. And then started to talk about a bazaar where she was in charge of a table. And she was in charge of the children's bric-a-brac and the things that were set out on that table. And she just been making a start when somebody, she'd gone away, her back was turned for two minutes and someone had taken the table away. No permission, no apology and a row had broken out. And she got more and more angry just in the retelling of it. And I think if we're honest, we were all waiting for the punchline of what had actually happened that was so horrific. But that was the story. And then she said, you see, Adrian, there are some things that I just don't think we can forgive. And I mean, you know, we were just sort of gasped. I didn't know what to do. I thought he dealt with it beautifully. But actually, as I drove away, almost just cringing to myself about how incredibly awkward that was, it made me think about this business of mercy and grace. Because both things were wrong. One was radically, incredibly, horribly wrong. And one to us might seem very trivial and very small. But actually, in all situations, mercy and grace were needed. And our offences, whether we feel they're very small, whether we feel that we've lived well this week, whether we feel that we've really messed up this week, whatever our position, whatever we bring in our hearts, the mercy is the same. As Graham said beautifully in his interview, the slate is wiped clean every day. 
And that's not just for his life, that's for the people that he's working with. And we'll all have that in our families, in our home situations, in our working environments. We will have people that is tough for us to forgive, tough for us to show this mercy, this grace, this kindness that Jesus is talking about here. The message version puts it, you're blessed when you care. At that moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. In other words, God will do it. He will give you the care, the kindness, the compassion that you need in that moment. And as Graham told us, it's a daily, daily act. And I really think forgiveness is a daily act. It's a daily posture. Martin Luther King said that. It's a daily posture. It's a daily surrendering when we've been hurt and where we've actually feel that we've been uh, robbed or cheated on or whatever that is. And Shakespeare, interestingly enough, I'm just raising the cultural bar a little bit here, if I may, because last time I spoke on strict so I thought we'd, uh, we'd just have a little bit of Shakespeare this morning, if that's all right. Shakespeare was fascinated by mercy. He was fascinated by what it looked like in a ruler or a king or a person in management or leadership, which many of us here are. And he said, actually, the attractive thing in leadership is where mercy is evident, where actually people are not treated as their sins deserve, where grace is abundant, where kindness goes the extra mile. And you'll see it in, in, in your leadership, maybe, in your managers, in people that you work alongside. When you see it, when you're treated differently from what you deserve, there's a beautiful kind of gratitude that comes with that. Interestingly, the word mercy comes originally from the French. Merci. Nice little accent for you there. Merci. Thank you. That's what it means. Merciful. Gratitude. And actually, that's a different way of looking at it. If we think, must try harder to forgive, must try harder, it's tough, isn't it? You know, we can't really do it through gritted teeth. But when we do it through gratitude, everything changes. And when Jesus tells this parable of the unmerciful servant, in a way, that's what he's saying. This guy is forgiven in the millions of pounds. If you think of the number of tenants that are actually talked about, the number of talents that are talked about in the parable, some commentators say it was like 1.5 million pounds, or dollars maybe, in the commentary. And then this guy is quibbling and throwing someone into jail almost over a tiny, tiny amount. Somebody who's been let off prison, let off the debt, is then quibbling over a tiny proportion of it in the parable. The Pope, Pope Francis, in his Easter address in 2013, said this, God's mercy can make even the driest land become a garden, can restore life to dry bones. And he said this because he rightly says, we live in a society and a world of entitlement, where mercy is short. You know, we know even from the news this week, and we would stand with a lot of those people who are going through horrendous things, raking up things from their past and actually sharing them in order that justice is done. And rightly so, rightly so. However, we do have a culture that is obsessed with entitlement. Every other advert has it. You know, if you've been in an accident and so on. And actually, there is that. It's the air that we breathe often is that air of entitlement. What are my rights? What do I, what do I deserve? Well, we deserve judgment. That's one thing we know. And yet, this mercy has found us. This mercy has reached us. This mercy has changed us and is shaping us so that we can do what it says here. Be kind for everyone we meet is facing a battle we know nothing about. 
Isn't that the truth? You know, the most difficult person at work, you think they're just a nightmare, the person in your family who's the most difficult to love, the most difficult to invite for Christmas, whatever it is, there is pain there in that person. You can guarantee it. There is anger. There's stuff that's turned in on itself that has made them feel unlovable and therefore they will push you away. Why? Because they feel unlovable. And I've found in two situations in my life where I've found it the most difficult to forgive. Two people in my life I've found incredibly hard to forgive. But I've found that is a work of grace. I've found that it has set me free, actually. And I've found that I can forgive. And both of them are in my life and both of them are very special to me. However... I can get really riled <laughs> over something that I'll hang on to that is to do with work or to do with an email or to do with anything. Isn't that weird? And that, again, is a bit like the, the trestle table and the woman who's incredibly set free. We've got all of that going on, probably in every heart here to some degree, and yet the mercy is the same, and we've got big offences that we've committed and small ones, and yet his mercy is the same. Everyone is facing a battle that we know nothing about, and as we said in Graham's interview, this really challenging but brilliant statement by C.S. Lewis, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you that we approach all of this, all of this mercy, all of this grace, all of this compassion from a place of knowing that we are forgiven. In the parable we hear this, I cancelled all that debt of yours, says the king. Think of what I let you off of. It was in the millions. He says, I cancelled all of that because you begged me. Shouldn't you then have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? But actually... We have been set free. You and I have been forgiven. And therefore, this mercy finds us. There are two stories that I wanted to, to start to bring our, our, our thoughts to a close with. And they're of two people. One uh, we'll call Jimmy. It's not his real name, but it doesn't matter. And he was put into prison for 39 years for an offence he didn't commit. Anyone else have anxiety dreams about that? I do. Some, some pattern of dreams can make that happen. Imagine it if suddenly you're thrown into prison tomorrow for something that you categorically didn't do, had nothing to do with, completely innocent. That was his reality. And he was put into prison on the testimony of a coerced 12-year-old person. And the court went with it. That's what happened. Now, there were people around that, but he lived and breathed in prison every day of every life, that. And suddenly, the 12-year-old, all grown up now, comes forward while he's in prison and says, oh, I was coerced. That was a load of lies. It wasn't him. And the guy is suddenly released. What would you and I be feeling of every horror that we went through in that prison? And there were many he went through. What would we be feeling towards that, that guy you know, and those who coerced him? And what this Jimmy did is he actually met with the guy and said, how horrific that must have been for you to have borne that guilt and to have woken up as a 12-year-old every day and then a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old with the weight of the guilt that you put me away. Now, I find that extraordinary. 
and they forged a friendship. There was reconciliation between them. And I, I, I'm honest, like, that floors me just to think of how, how you do that. But that has to be God. And he would claim that it absolutely was, that he prayed for it, that he did that. The other story is a woman called Gailey who did do it. So she murdered her husband. She killed him. She actually arranged his killing. As a, as a, they actually call them mercy killings, weirdly enough. But they, she arranged for his killing, was responsible for the murder of her husband. She was the victim of abuse growing up. She was a victim of an abusive father and then an abusive husband, and she killed him. And she went in America uh, onto death row where she was awaiting uh, a lethal injection for what she had done. And she uh, was in jail for about six months, not a Christian at all, and very aware that she had done wrong, but had been brought up with a very kind of tyrannical faith, in a way, in, in the family, where you just couldn't put a foot wrong, and had gone right away from anything like that. And then she says, one morning in 1986, she woke up, and for eight hours she cried solidly she said some of it was on the floor some of it was on her bed just crying and she said she was just overwhelmed that God loved her that he forgave her and that he showed mercy towards her and she just couldn't deny it she just said I cannot get this I'm facing death row I'm facing judgment and I deserve it and suddenly this mercy this grace this fullness came into her that made her weep and weep and weep and she, on that day, gave her life to Jesus. She didn't quite know what she'd done, but she did. And she said, whatever I face, whether my life goes in two days' time, she didn't know when she was going to be killed. She thought, I will show this mercy to the women here in the prison. And she began to do it through shower shoes. Try saying that over and over, shower shoes. So she basically uh, saw that when women came in, one of the most horrific things that happened is they entered a shower where there was all sorts of horrific stuff in the bottom of the shower thing. And she thought, what we need is shower shoes. And they were available, but they were available at cost through the governor. So she had a bit of money that she'd saved while she'd been in the prison, and so she paid for as many shower shoes as she could uh, to actually then be given to women who came into the prison knew anonymously so that no one would know so that they would have free shoes that, that would make one experience a bit better one more merciful one more kind and actually people found out that that's what she was doing and others joined in and it became actually a cultural thing that you would save up to buy a new woman coming in shower shoes that one of the older prisoners would do that for a younger prisoner coming in then they asked Gailey to actually talk to the women as they were given the shoes and talk to them about being in prison and she started to share her faith with them started to listen to them show mercy and kindness and a culture then that is punitive that is tyrannical that is all about she was the only one on death row in the whole prison but nevertheless a punitive place suddenly starts to have the fingerprints and the beauty of mercy across it because one woman who doesn't deserve it receives the mercy of God and the story gets even better because actually they see such a change in her and so much that she gives to the prison that actually they revisit her case. Someone stands up for her. She never revealed anything about the abuse because she didn't want her sons to go through it. And actually the case is looked at again. She is let off death row. She still serves the sentence and rightly so. But she didn't die. And actually as we look at those stories, 
Surely there's a resonance for us that we know that if we had the judgment we deserved, and Gailey would rightly say that's what she felt she did deserve, whether we believe it's death or not. We are all facing that one day or another. But we have a God, a Father, who loves us so much, every single one of us, that he forgives us, that he lavishes his mercy and grace on us. And Jesus told this parable, as well as the Beatitude, to say, I will be merciful to you, as will my Father be. He will be merciful to us. So how can we then not live in the light of that mercy, in the light of that kindness and compassion, that as we are not treated as our sins deserve, so then we try in his power, in his mercy, in his grace, uh, not to do that for others. I'm going to ask the band if they will come back up. And, and I know this is a tough subject, so I do want us to have a bit of time just to do a little bit of heart searching. And You may be fine today, but you may not be. And uh, as the band starts to play, let's just have some time examining our own hearts uh, and we see that this is what the Apostle Paul says. Interesting, the Apostle Paul describes himself as the worst of all sinners. He doesn't just say I'm a bad man, he says I am the worst of all sinners and yet this is what he writes in Hebrews. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's just be quiet and, uh, and pray, examining our hearts. Where do we need that mercy that we can then direct where it's needed elsewhere? Let's just pray.